Our reading is from Revelation chapter 8, verses 6 to 13. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in mid-air call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded, by the other three angels. The earlier reading uh, told us about four angels. This is about the fifth angel. The earlier reading finished with a promise of woes. This is about the first woe. And it's from Revelations chapter 9, verses 1 through to 12. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet... And I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of the scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, 
and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue and yellow as sulphur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke and sulphur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke and sulphur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze and stone and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. This is the word of the Lord. It all makes pretty grim reading as one catastrophe after another is unleashed upon the world. The whole book does have a kind of dreamlike quality as the attention shifts inexplicably from one set of images to another and it's really hard to make sense of how it fits into a coherent whole. What's clear is that the bulk of Revelation is structured, if that's the right word, around three successive sets of disasters that represents heaven's judgment on the wickedness of the earth. Can you have the picture up, please, Peter? Thank you. So from the start of chapter 4 to the beginning of chapter 8, we have the Lamb breaking seven seals on the scroll of destiny, and you can see on the left the consequences that ensue. The first four seals herald the arrival of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, bringing conquest, warfare, famine and death in their wake. When the fifth seal is broken, John sees the souls of those who have been martyred for the faith, wanting to know how much longer it will be before God judges the earth. The sixth seal brings a massive earthquake. And this looks like the end of the world as the sun turns black, the moon turns red, the stars in the sky fall to earth and the sky itself vanishes as if it were a scroll being rolled up. Every mountain and hill is removed from its place. And everyone looks for somewhere to hide from the wrath of God and of the Lamb. 
And when the seventh seal is finally broken a bit later, you might expect this to bring about the final cataclysm, but it doesn't. Instead, as we saw this morning, you get silence in heaven for half an hour. And then it just starts all over again with six of the seven trumpets in Revelation chapter 8 to 9 being sounded. The first four trumpets bring what look like ecological and environmental disaster to the world. A third of the earth is burnt up and laid waste. A third of the sea turns to blood and is so polluted that a third of the sea creatures living in it perish. A third of all rivers and fresh water sources become so contaminated and bitter that people die as a result of drinking the water. The level of pollution in the air is such that the light from the sun, moon and stars is blotted out for a third of the day and a third of the night. As we become more and more aware of the ecological impact of our profligate lifestyles, the burning of fossil fuels, the colossal amount of toxic waste we dump in our rivers and seas, the way the world is being systematically deforested so that climate change turns once fertile areas into arid desert. These images of a third of the earth, a third of the sea, a third of fresh water sources, a third of the sky being affected, these images resonate powerfully with us and present us with vivid pictures of the destructive effects of our behaviour. In Revelation, these disasters happen as a result of what look like comets colliding with the earth. John portrays the judgment of God by describing how hail and fire mixed with blood are thrown upon the earth. Then it's a burning mountain. Then it's a great star. All of these thrown down to earth from heaven in a way that expresses divine judgments. When we look around, we can see how the problems we encounter today are largely self-inflicted. Nevertheless, they may no less be an outworking of God's judgment on the world, since his judgment sometimes takes the form of simply stepping back and letting us get on with it, so that we experience the negative impact of what ensues from the bad decisions we make, and we suffer the consequences. I'm conscious that in, in interpreting the, the trumpets, the first four trumpets in this way, I'm understanding them in the light of our own 21st century context with our preoccupation with ecological and environmental disasters. But the degree of correspondence between what John pictures and what we see on the news today is unavoidable. But we do need to be cautious in pursuing this kind of interpretation. What about trumpets five and six? They focus more on warfare than the environment, with those terrible locusts looking like war horses with scorpion stings in their tails, tormenting those they sting for five months so that people long to die just to be rid of the pain. These creatures are totally bizarre. Human faces, women's hair, lion's teeth. They look as if they've been assembled at random from different bits of creatures to make a terrifying conglomeration of destruction. The Jewish book of Wisdom of Solomon describes creatures like these. Newly created unknown beasts full of rage, or such as breathe out fiery breath, or belch forth a thick pall of smoke, or flash terrible sparks from their eyes. Not only could, they, not only could the harm they did destroy people, but the mere sight of them could kill by fright. Forty or so years ago, Hal Lindsay wrote an immensely popular book in some Christian circles, The Late Great Planet Earth. And for him, these creatures represent John's vision of mobile ballistic missile launchers. 
Others have looked at them and seen reflected in John's pictures modern tanks or helicopters or the horrors of modern warfare, chemical warfare. Then with the sixth trumpet comes this army of 20,000 times 10,000 or 200 million strong. And it said, well, China, China could raise an army of that size. And if China allied itself with Russia, then Hal Lindsay again sees this as an army that would wipe out a third of the Earth's population. And once you start to think along those lines, and the first four plagues were the destruction of a third of the earth and the sea and the freshwater supplies and the blotting out of the sun, moon and stars, that all starts to sound a little bit like a portrayal of what could be the devastating effects of a small-scale nuclear war. And that's one of the reasons why perhaps reading Revelation is particularly scary for us in this day and age. Because we know we possess the technology to make it all come true. Yet, relevant as it is to us, we need to recognise that there, is, there has to be a strong element of provisionality to understanding it in this way. Because down through the ages, a whole succession of disasters and military powers have been associated with the sounding of these trumpets. We stand at the end of a long line of interpreters who said, this is what it means for our day and age. Go back to the time of the Mayflower. The pilgrims on the Mayflower took with them a copy of the Geneva Bible, an early translation of the scriptures which came out when Queen Mary, Bloody Mary, was on the throne. It was called the Geneva Bible because it was translated by a group of scholars who fled to Geneva to escape persecution and translated the scriptures when they were there. In the Geneva Bible, the trumpets are a portrait of the corruption of true doctrine. The fourth trumpet, which results in the sun being obscured, demonstrates how Christ, the Son of Justice, is obscured by those who boast of their works and merits and tread his death underfoot. The fifth angel and fallen star represent those bishops and ministers who forsake the word of God and fall out of heaven, becoming angels of darkness. The sixth trumpet heralds the false teachers, the heretics, the priests, the monks, the friars and cardinals, the patriarchs, archbishops, bishops, doctors, bachelors and masters, who forsake Christ to maintain false doctrine. And so it goes on. People have always read and interpreted Revelation in the light of their own situation. And in a hundred years' time, if we're still here, anyone looking at how we interpret and understand it today may well shake their heads and think how misguided they were to interpret it in that way. If we're still here in a hundred years' time. At first sight, Revelation doesn't appear to encourage us to think of the world still being here for all that long. It does read a little bit like 22 chapters worth of sandwich boards proclaiming that the end of the world is nigh. And yet when you look at the structure of Revelation, it's possible to see that the structure itself allows for a delay before the end. And in some ways its structure leads us to anticipate a delay before the end. It's all bound up with how this triple series of seven judgments is set out in the book. We've thought about the the seals and the trumpets. The seven trumpets are followed by seven bowls, which contain seven plagues representing the final outpouring of God's wrath. And the first four bowls are quite similar to the first four trumpets, except that the effect is more intense. The first bowl is poured out on the earth. Then those who worship the beast are afflicted with sores. This, like many other judgments in Revelation, echoes the ten plagues that came on Egypt in the time of Moses. 
The next two bowls, like the trumpets, affect the sea and the fresh water supplies, except this time all the sea and all the rivers are affected. Bowl four makes the sun scorch people with its heat. Bowl five brings darkness. Bowl six dries up the river Euphrates to prepare the way for kings from the east to come across it for the final confrontation between good and evil at Armageddon. And the last bowl brings a massive earthquake that splits the city into three parts. Islands collapse, mountains disappear, hailstones weighing 100 pounds each fall from heaven onto people's heads and they curse God as a result. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. How do they all fit together? Lots of different opinions on this. Some people think it's kind of cyclical. Each series of seven recapitulates the previous series of seven. So you run from the seals all the way through, you start again with the trumpets all the way through, you start again with the bowls all the way through. The same events portrayed three times over with the seven seals, trumpets and bowls. However, the sequence of events and what happens each time is is not quite the same. I'm not sure that's the best way to go. Others have suggested that the, the, the seven trumpets are all triggered by the breaking of the seventh seal. And the seven bowls are all poured out when the seventh trumpet is sounded. That sounds more promising. It's sequential. Seven seals followed by seven trumpets followed by seven bowls. There's a more complicated scheme still um, that has the trumpets and the bowls starting halfway through the previous series. Um, so the, the trumpets start to be sounded halfway through the seals being broken and the bowls start to be poured out halfway through the trumpets being sounded but they all end together at the same time so the seals the final seal is broken when the seventh trumpet is sounded and the final bowl is poured out and that is the end I think it's significant that there is a pattern in terms of how the seals and the trumpets are described. There is a pause between the sixth and the seventh event. You get the first six seals, then there's a pause, then seal number seven. Then you get the first six trumpets, then there's a pause, and trumpet number seven. Only the bowls run through one to seven without a break. And when you read it, it's like things are building up to a climax. You get to the seventh, you get to the sixth seal, and you think, this is it! Oh, no, it's not. The seventh seal is started and it starts again with, with trumpets. You get to the sixth trumpet, this is it. Well, there's another pause. And, and then the seventh trumpet sounds and, and more stuff happens. So between the sixth and the seventh seal, there is a break in which the 144,000 are numbered. The seventh seal doesn't bring the end. It leads instead into the seven trumpets. You run through trumpets one to six. Then there is a pause between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. And between the sixth and the seventh trumpet, you get the sounding of seven thunders. And John is about to write down what the thunders say, but he said, he's told, don't do that. Instead, an angel says there will be no more delay. As if there was an option of inserting another series of seven. So you get four series of seven, seals, trumpets, thunders, bold. But the thunders are taken out of the picture, as if there isn't time for that. Instead, When the final trumpet is sounded, it said the mystery of God would be fulfilled. And when the seventh trumpet is sounded, there is a sense of at last, 
But instead of moving straight on to what happens, there is again another pause. And I think this sequence of interrupted series is an important part of how Revelation should be understood. Let me try and... Peter, can I move on? There we go. This is a possible way of understanding the complicated structure of Revelation on the screen. Chapters 4 to 6, you have six of the seven seals. In chapter 7, you have a pause featuring the 144,000. Then in chapters 8 to 9, you have the seventh seal leading into six trumpets. And then you get another pause. This time to consider whether there will be seven thunders or not. But there is time to tell the brief story of two witnesses who seem to portray the church in its prophetic ministry. Then the seventh trumpet is sounded to the acclamation that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. The seventh trumpet is the last trumpet. Paul says that when the last trumpet sounds, the dead shall be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed. And you might expect that the last trumpet, or something like it, brings about the end in Revelation. But before this happens, there is still a pause. Fresh characters are brought on the stage. A woman, a dragon and two beasts. And they will feature at the end of Revelation. Then there's a look backward to the 144,000 reappearing in heaven this time. Three angels predict more dire events to befall the earth. Then, at the end of chapter 14, the earth is harvested. First the wheat harvest, then the grain harvest. The 144,000 are described as the first fruits of the harvest. And it may be that their harvesting represents the moment when Christ descends from heaven at the sound of the trumpet to gather to himself all those who belong to him. We sing, don't we? Even so, Lord, quickly come. Bring thy final harvest home. Gather thou thy people in, free from sorrow, free from sin. There forever purified in thy garner to abide. Come with all thine angels, come. Raise the glorious harvest home. And after the seventh trumpet is sounded, if we are to look for a point at which Christ comes back, and brings his people out of the world, it's possibly the end of Revelation 14, when the earth is harvested by the Son of Man with a sharp sickle. But in the east, there's always two harvests. The grain harvest is followed by the grape harvest. And in Joel, there are two harvests. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes, for the winepress is full, and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. And in Joel, the grape harvest is the harvest of judgment. And in Revelation 14, at the end there, the the sickle harvesting the wheat is followed by a second harvest of grape harvest, which represents the final outpouring of God's anger on a godless world. And the grape harvest leads into the image of the outpouring of the seven bowls of God's wrath. And this time there is no delay, there is no holding back. There's no hiatus or pause. The seven bowls are poured out one after the other without interruption. It is is as if at this point in the narrative, until this time, God has been holding back the final judgment, which is expressed by the delay between the sixth and the seventh seal, the delay between the sixth and the seventh trumpets. The timing isn't fixed. It's flexible. It may be a while. It may be put off. It may be brought forward. 
But while God's people are in the world, Judgment Day is put off for as long as possible. Not to spare them. After all, the soul's under the altar when the fifth seal is broken. Want God to hurry up and get on with it. What seems to be the factor influencing the timing is that by the end of the trumpets, trumpets being blown, no one is repenting or turning to God anymore. Everyone is just cursing God for what is happening. Seems as if the whole world is polarised into those who belong to God and those who are vehemently opposed to him. And it's when there is no longer any viable prospect of someone repenting and changing sides that God calls it a day. Now is the time to sound the last trumpet. Now is the time for Christ to return and rescue his people. Now is the time for the final outpouring of God's wrath represented by the seven bowls. Because the world is beyond redemption. That is the picture and the portrait of the end according to Revelation. It's the perspective of 2 Peter, which attributes the delay in Jesus' return to God's desire that no one should perish, but that everyone should have the maximum opportunity to come to repentance. And the way John structures Revelation with these triple series of seven disasters suggests he might share this view. The seals delay before the end. Trumpets delay before the end. Once the end comes, the bowls come without a break. Once the seven bowls are poured out, Babylon is destroyed. There's the final battle between good and evil at Armageddon. There's the millennium, the last judgment and the new Jerusalem. Plenty more obscure and frightening stuff to come then. Revelation is a book that talks about the end of the world as we know it. At times it looks as though the end is imminent. But equally it appears from the way the book is structured that God has built a delay mechanism into the trigger that marks the moment of Jesus' return. So the fact that we've been waiting 2,000 years for him to come back now does not need to damage our faith. Revelation suggests that the reason for the delay may be to give as many people as possible the maximum time to repent and sort their lives out with God. Because when Jesus comes back, people won't be turning to God anymore. The delay gives us all an opportunity to do just that. One day, whenever, Jesus is coming back. No one knows when. We might look at the trumpets and think, oh no, four trumpets, we can see that happening today, five and six and seven, we're well on the way to it. We just don't know. It could be well after our lifetime. People in a hundred years might still be preaching about the meaning of Revelation. It could be within our lifetime. And the challenge then is, if Jesus does return in your lifetime, will you be ready to meet him? Let's pray. Lord, it's a difficult book and we don't understand a lot of it. We live in a world where we don't understand so much of what is going on. It's hard to see how your sovereignty is worked out when we look at events in the news. Yet Revelation affirms that above and beyond it all, you are in control. And you are directing events to their appointed conclusion 
in accordance with your sovereign purpose. And we don't know whether the end will be near or whether it will be a long way off. But as we look at events in our world and see them pictured in the pages of Revelation, we cannot but recognise that it could be near. So give us understanding, not just of this book, but more importantly, give us understanding of how we should live our lives if these are the last days. To make us people of faith, people of prayer, people who will live and work for what is right, people who will stand firm in our commitment to you when everything else is going wrong. Use your word to shape and mould us to be the people you'd have us be so that when the last trumpet sounds we would be ready to welcome Jesus as our Saviour, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen.